collection ever. And beer. We're back. We're back, baby. Eddie's back. Hey, what's, what's up, fellas? What's going on, Eddie? Not much. I have a special beer today. Ooh. Let's hear about it. All right, well, you want to start with yours? Let's hear what y'all yeah, are Yeah, because I think you made something special. I've got a beer by Revolver Brewing called Blood and Honey American Ale. Ooh, Revolver, one of my f- favorite um, bl- uh, Rage Against the Machine songs. If you're, if you're prepping for a duel, oh, have a Revolver Blood and Honey oh, American Ale. Oh, very nice. Your aim will be true. So I'm, I'm drinking Highland Brewing's Oatmeal Porter. It's a little bit darker oh, than my beer. Oh, listen, oatmeal stouts are chewy. Yeah, it, it looks like a little it a this, lot. Is, this is a good beer, too. What are you drinking, Eddie? All right. I have brewed with my own two hands. Again. Mr. Hare's Porter. Ooh. This is the preferred beer. This is the official beer of the Continental Congress. Oh, that's awesome. Yes, this is, this is what they were drinking when... They drafted the Declaration of Independence. Okay, listen, that's the coolest thing I've heard today. It's the it's the beer that converted Adams from a cider guy. It really is. You can almost it's hear true. the it's hair the growing beer. on his sack. <laughs> <laughs> it's the beer that was so good, John Adams wrote home about it to his wife, Abigail. I drink no cider, but feast upon Philadelphia beer and porter. That's really cool. Yeah. So that's that's what I brewed. It is just dark black. It is just as black as it could be. Little little coffeeish. It has it has no coffee taste to it, though it does have hints of chocolate. Probably chocolate, and is it is it scotch that they the cast they put it in? Maybe it's hard to say, but. Man, I'll tell you, if you aged this beer in a bourbon barrel, it would be amazing. It's amazing already. I love this beer. You could not imagine a more pure-tasting porter than this Mr. Hare's porter. Eddie's about to leave us and be a, a brewmaster. Oh, that's, if it, believe me, if the, if the offer came in... There would be an Eddie-shaped hole in my wall. <laughs> Bugs Bunny and Eddie-shaped. <laughs> I said, well, I propose, I propose for our last show going up into the election of 2020. Yeah, that we take a road trip to Philly and do a podcast in Philly. Somehow, I don't know if they allow it or not, in the historical district, and have some of this historical beer and just let people sample it. Screw that. I want to drink it. <laughs> As in you me. Know, yards, <laughs> yards Brewing in Philadelphia makes all these beers. We can't get them here. They, they're not available where I am. But they have them all at Yards. That would There's be amazing go. to go to Yards Brewery. We'll set it up now. Yards Brewery. If you're listening, you're not. But you will be at some point. We're going to come there for our last episode. I would, lo- I would love to do that. By the way, guys, you, you're making my job as a as a show editor really hard with you and your beef jerky bag over here and Eddie with his dogs barking. It's going to be really fun for me. I just want to let you know. <laughs> Maybe there's a story would, there, Mr. I, Eddie, editor. I would like to think that the founders, while they wrote our Constitution and Bill of Rights, were petting a dog, a Labrador. A Labradoodle. <laughs> a Labrador. <laughs> Yes. There, there were no hips no. yet to create no. the Labrador. Why do I always, 
I always say the effeminate things on the show. That's my role. Shut clearly. up and drink your cider. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I've earned a reputation. And I, I have earned it for sure. We're at the election of 1828 today. 1824 was a crazy election. Yeah, that was one of my favorite. 1824 is one of my favorite elections of all time. Really a, a test, an early test for democracy because, you know, the person who got the most votes both in the Electoral College and, and popular vote did not get the presidency. Right. It's such it's such a terrible irony that the first time really that the voice of most of the country was heard, it wasn't heard at all. So Adams takes the presidency. How does he do? Oh, it's not good. It's <laughs> uh Adams okay, John Quincy Adams, I've said on the show before, John Quincy Adams is quite possibly my favorite person who has been president of the United States. Yeah. We're trying to keep up is, with all those categories, by the way. We, I know. We I've got so many. I've got one for almost everybody. Right. But John Quincy Adams' presidency itself is just a total flop. It's just a disaster from day one. Abigail Abigail is ticked off then, by the way, because she, she's very disappointed if her kids don't succeed. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. She did. Did I tell you all about the letter yep. that she wrote? He's going Absolutely. away to sea. Very disappointed. Yeah, I'd rather your boat sank in the sea than you bring dishonor to us. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but so John Quincy Adams' presidency is the least successful thing that he does in his entire career. And... Once he's defeated and it brings about the end of his presidency, he doesn't do what most presidents do. As far as I can think of, just about every president not named John Quincy Adams retires and kind of disappears. Do you know what John Quincy Adams does for the rest of his life? Book tour. Sure. <laughs> yeah, uh, he does. He does speaking engagements at uh, Russian banks. Yeah. Two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a pop. Oh, no. Yeah. No. <laughs> John Quincy Adams goes back to Massachusetts. He runs for a seat in the House, and he holds that seat in the House of Representatives until the day that he dies, making a speech in the House of Representatives. Wow. Clearly, this guy has less pride than I do to to go back from being president to be a member of the House. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't view things in that way. Yeah. Like it's he's really what all politicians should aspire to be. He's he's a, he's an amazing guy. He fights slavery for the rest of his life. That's great. I can't say anything funny about that. No, it's a good but cause. He's he is rather bored to go from president to representative almost no presidents have taken a lesser position now william howard taft after he was president he was later appointed chief justice of the united states yeah that's not really lesser i, I would guess i mean well if you think about it in these terms 44 people as of today 44 people have been president of the united states and only 17 people have been Chief Justice of the United States, Ooh, so it's yeah. actually a much more exclusive position. Right. So really the only other example I can think of is if, if Hillary would have won, Bill would have been the first lady. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
That would have been his little step down. <laughs> Imagine the time there would be for misbehavior when. <laughs> exactly. No kidding. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> I don't know. It sounded hi- hypersexual, though. Yeah, no. Hey, don't let us knock you off course. You go for it. Plow right ahead. Uh, it, it, when you look at John Quincy Adams, during the 2016 election, you would hear pundits say all the time, I mean, constantly, they'd be saying, Hillary Clinton is the most qualified person to ever run for president. That was such bull crap at the time. Oh, and how. I mean, yeah. but, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to do this show was— Because they're constantly saying things like that, and it's almost never true. And in a world where John Quincy Adams was president of the United States, no one can ever reasonably argue that Hillary Clinton is the most qualified person ever to run for president. Because John Quincy Adams was the most qualified person ever to run for president. And it's bar none. It's... It's hands down. It's barely arguable. And and probably one of the smartest, if not the smartest, too, right? Oh, yeah, man. He spoke He spoke like seven languages. Yeah. He spent most of his childhood in Europe. One of the things that he did, uh, if you read any book from this time, like you go and read a biography of Jackson, or you go and you read a biography of Van Buren, or basically any important character from American history from the Jacksonian era, one of the major sources that the biographer is going to use is this massive, ridiculous journal that John Quincy Adams kept all of his life. He wrote about everything that happened to him, and he wrote all about politics. Um, I have it on my shelf. It's six great big volumes that are just John Quincy Adams' journal. Do you, do you journal, Scott? Um, let me tell you, I did for about six months in the eighth grade did you? when we were forced to. I would love to read that sometime. Uh, it was mainly about fishing trips with my buddies oh. and being woefully underprepared for high school. Not near as exciting. And as I'm not talking hope. about scholastically. I'm talking about with in, in, in total hairs on one's chest <laughs> and, and the way that women didn't quite look at me the way I wanted them to look at me. It's almost like you could write it today. Yeah, <laughs> so the, took the joke right out of my mouth. So he is president. What happens? You know, it starts with the corrupt bargain, right? Henry Clay becomes the Secretary of State, which everybody knows now. That's the main stepping stone to the presidency. Right. John Quincy Adams was Secretary of State. James Monroe was Secretary of State. James Madison was Secretary of State. Thomas Jefferson was Secretary of State. So, I mean, that's the main stepping stone to the presidency. Adams gives it to Clay, and Clay helps him to um, win the election in the House. He gets him the votes that he needs. It's called the corrupt bargain. And Americans are pissed right away, right after John Quincy Adams becomes president. I'm talking a couple months after his inauguration, the Tennessee legislature goes ahead and nominates Andrew Jackson to run for president in 1828. They're ready to get him out already. 
Yeah, they're already ready. They, yep. The nomination comes in over three years early, about three and a half years before the election. They should have just Ouch. impeached him. I mean, I, that's what I would do. Impeach? Yeah, just start yes, right away. No, we all know the impeachment power is there just to, you know, yeah. anytime a president might do something politically that you don't like, <laughs> impeach. Yeah. Exactly. Or just start a, just start a, uh, a campaign, he's not my president. Yeah. That's what Mr. Madison wanted. But it's good that we're getting into talking about Donald Trump here because lots of elements of Donald Trump are very Jacksonian. Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last time, just the bravado. Yeah. It's been a very Jacksonian um, presidency so far. (laughs) If Jackson only had Twitter. Oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody should start a Jackson Twitter. I'm sure it's out there already. Jackson was, I I don't know, maybe a sociopath, maybe, maybe psychotic. I don't know. Jackson had a real streak of something in him that even President Trump does not have. If you talked smack about Andrew Jackson's wife, yes, he would be ready to shoot you over it. I love that. I flipping love that. I mean, it's like there. Also, it's it's a little machismo. Yeah, but I mean, it's way way macho. Uh-huh. But I do like the chivalry part of it. Say that again. Say yeah. that again, boy. I didn't hear you. I mean, I can say that about her, but you can't. She's mine. Yeah, <laughs> she's my joke. She's my joke to make, not yours. <laughs> yeah. Step outside. Let's duel this out. One of the things I was thinking about this week when I was preparing for this show is. You know how you get on Twitter and people would just so, be so mean and snarky and sarcastic? Yes. I mean, mostly me, but other people <laughs> do. Matt, do you know anything about that? No. <laughs> Jeez. I was thinking about it, and I thought, you know what? People were a lot less sarcastic in the 1800s when somebody would would challenge yeah. you to a duel. Oh, man. Just get it. your ass shot if you want no, to be no, sarcastic. No, no, no. This is my favorite story ever about Jackson. Shoot me in the chest. Yeah. And then I'm going to wait, and I'm going to take my time blowing your brains out. I have seen someone on Twitter say, you know, one of the problems with today is that, first of all, we're, we're keyboard warriors. But second, there's no real fear of getting punched in the mouth. That's I've been saying 100%. that shit for right? months. Yeah. If there's a fear that you're going to get punched and popped in the mouth yeah. with something you say, you're going to be a lot more polite about what you say. Or there's this, there's this TV commercial on before I stopped watching TV. I canceled my cable, and oh, I yeah? just haven't got any more, and I actually kind of like it. Yeah. But anyway, of, of someone not answering a text message, he just shows up and knocks on the door, and he opens the door, and he answers the text messages in person, Yeah. which is like totally alien in this day and age. Uh-huh. But same, same thing as you were saying, you say something on the internet, I knock on your door, it's me, and the first thing I do is just knock the shit out of yeah. you. You want to you want to repeat that? Yeah. <laughs> once once again, please. No, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. yeah. When Jackson was, he was, uh, um, his career had just started. He was a lawyer in Tennessee. He was a brand new lawyer, and uh, he's sitting there in a court case. And the opposing attorney, a guy named Wait Still Avery. Uh, said something really sarcastic about an argument that Jackson had made. You know, something snarky. Yeah, I mean, just like somebody would do on Twitter. Right. So Jackson tears a page out of the legal book in front of him and writes out a challenge on it. And and he, he writes on there, 
we're going to duel after uh, court adjourns outside, you know, behind the bleachers or whatever. It's like. <laughs> that is so awesome. <laughs> he just, he rips a page out of the book. It says, work fighting after this is over with. Yeah. Can you imagine his, his lawyer commercials? <laughs> Nobody's challenging him. I'm Andrew Jackson. They call me Big Hickory. I've, I've personally <laughs> killed five other lawyers. Yeah. It was totally legal. <laughs> it was totally legal. It challenge was a duel. To, yeah, challenge challenge to a duel. duel. I got shot in the chest <laughs> called Andrew Jackson. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this particular duel is the first recorded duel that we know about that Andrew Jackson got into. Uh, it was over some snarky thing that the guy said. So by the time he's at, it's actually time for the duel. Uh, Jackson has really cooled down a lot. The two guys take their steps. They both fire into the air. That's almost always how these duels end, with both guys firing into the air. Because it's really a test of courage and not about killing the other person. But Jackson wanted, <laughs> he wanted blood. Yo, now if you said something about Rachel... That's when he absorbs your bullet. It's on. And then <laughs> and takes that. you out. It's on at that point. I will absorb yeah. your hatred. What a different I will day. absorb your hatred. Can you imagine being the, the jackass that corrects him grammatically from, oh, from like no, a typo? That's a great. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> You're supposed to put a comma before exactly. the and in a, in a series? Yeah. Oh, really? Do you know who you just corrected? <laughs> you just corrected Andrew. I take a bullet to the chest, Jackson. <laughs> That's like before Old Hickory became something he was trying to nickname yeah. himself. Do you actually know about that, or were, was that just a joke, or are you talking about what actually happened? Like, that's one of the major attacks during the election of 1828. One of the major attacks on Jackson is over his spelling. Really? Oh, my God. We were totally oh, yeah. joking. We were totally that's joking. That's hysterical. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. I mean, it's a huge thing. Every Republican newspaper... <laughs> just totally rips on him for his spelling. And then the people who defend him are saying, you know, I would rather have a man who can't spell and doesn't want to destroy liberty, you know. But that, yeah, that the spelling is a really big deal. They point out, like, you know, Thomas Jefferson spelled words wrong all the time. If, if, if Jackson were around in our age, Brian Stelter would never stop correcting Jackson's spelling. He would be he would be on Twitter going, Jackson spelled another word wrong. Yeah. He would stop because he'd get a damn bullet to the chest. Yeah. <laughs> no, he would, yeah. oh, no, Jackson would absorb I, his bullet. I don't know if Jackson shoot would shoot in you in 2019 or not. Yeah. Can you imagine Brian Stetzer even being in a duel? It, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I can't, I can't imagine most people being in a duel. That's true. That's true. Uh, another duel that Jackson got. You can see today I was like, all right, I'm going to lead with duels yeah. because this is a thing that interests people more than the political tactics of Martin Van Buren. So, <laughs> oh. so I'm all about, I mean, in all your about duels now. <laughs> when Jackson was the head of the Tennessee militia, he got in a fight with, the governor of Tennessee. Oh, that's awesome! Over a disparaging, <laughs> over a disparaging mark that the governor had made about Rachel, <laughs> and he called her a bigamist. Oh, and oh. they set the meeting place as 
Southwest Point. Do you know where that is? I have no clue. If you get on I-40 West, it's about half an hour outside of Knoxville. Okay. So So it's it's basically right at the edge of the plateau. It's just south of of Crossville. Okay. I was busy on Google today. I was like, I was like, I bet they know where this is because it's compared to me, it's right by Knoxville. But I guess, I guess I don't know everything that's forty miles away from Milledgeville either. Yeah, we're we're not that smart either. No, so, yeah, we're married, so we just stay, we yeah. stay at home mainly. <laughs> All right, so they they set up this duel for Knoxville, and Jackson waits and waits, and the governor does not show up. Oh my God, he's a no show. Yeah, Jackson's already. Ready to go tell everybody this guy is a coward. So Jackson hops on his horse or whatever. You know, he's heading back to Knoxville. And he passes the guy on the road. The guy just got held up. <laughs> Sorry, got caught in traffic. You wouldn't you wouldn't believe. So I guess they got off their horses because the governor's horse runs away with his weapons on it. Oh, that's convenient. And then Jackson starts chasing the governor, and the governor's running away from him. And so it's like a cartoon with Andrew Jackson, the head of the <laughs> Tennessee militia, chasing the governor of Tennessee, who's unarmed now. But he ended up uh, allowing the guy to live. Oh, my. This guy is so cool. And crazy. <laughs> Maybe the coolest guy we've covered so far. I mean, other than the ultimate badass, George Washington. But we're about to get to Martin Van Buren, so hold yeah. on. <laughs> I shouldn't make any, any mind-bending <laughs> statements because Martin Van Buren is up next. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Martin Van Buren is like the cider of presidents. I oh, see that now. Oh, Matt. Take yeah. that one. Eddie's favorite. Take that one, you <laughs> absolute girl. Yeah. <laughs> I can take it. So the reason everybody has these insults, uh, and this is a major problem for Jackson in the election of 1828, which is that Rachel Jackson was married to... Uh, another guy. I, I think his last name was. I think his name was Robard. Robard. Uh, this guy is apparently a very nasty guy. Uh, nobody knows exactly what is true and what is not true about Rachel because she gets smeared so hard in the newspapers. It's it's hard to dig up the truth on it. Uh, she leaves this guy and runs away with Andrew Jackson. And they get married, but she's not yet divorced. Oh, so it's scandalous. So she's a she's a honest to god polygamist. It, it's hard to know, but it does seem like yes, she actually was not divorced. She claims to have thought that she was divorced, but the husband withheld the divorce, you know, or some kind of thing like that. But uh, it ends up being a very big scandal for. For Jackson, in fact, the duel that I talked about last week, the absorb the bullet duel with Charles Dickinson, was also over the fact that he called Rachel Jackson a bigamist as well. And this winds up being what they dig up on him in 1828, and the Republican newspapers just go wild. They call her, they call her everything. They call her a bigamist, adulteress. They call her a whore. Ouch. <laughs> God. Yeah, I mean, it, 
it's nasty even by today's standards. The just the ferocity with which they went after his wife. Explain to me because I'm 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 trying to put this together. But you're saying the Republican newspapers are the ones that go after her. I guess at that time Jackson was still a Democratic Republican, right? So where am I missing? Because I thought the Republican Party came in later. What's what's going on with the Republican newspaper? And I'm not putting those two together. There starts to be this break apart where okay. everybody thinks that they're the real Democratic Republicans. All right. They're the real Republicans. And so, you know, they go around saying that, and people start to call them different things. And they start to call John Quincy Adams and his followers, they become the Republicans. Okay. The National Republicans is what the party is called. It is not the Republican Party that we know today. Gotcha. But it's an offshoot of the Democratic Party. And they start calling... Uh, Jackson's party, the Democrats, and that is the Democratic Party of today. It's the same organization that operates today as the Democratic Party. It's not an official uh, name of the party yet. It's just what people are calling it. In 1832, it's going to officially be the name of the party. So the two parties in 1832... I don't want to get ahead of the show, but they're going to officially be the Democrats led by Jackson and the National Republicans on the other side. Okay. Got it. All right. So did I talk enough about dueling right off the bat? Yep. Okay. You passed. There's also, as long as we're talking about political parties, there's also another political party, a nascent political party that starts to come into being during this time, and it's the anti-Mason party. I've never heard of that. Up until we get the Republicans and the Democrats, which happens for the first time in 1856, you're going to see lots of little, you know, like smaller factions emerge. And the anti-Mason party uh, believes that there's this huge swamp of Freemasons that are corrupt and that are showing favoritism to each other in the government, and they're trying to help Masons and hurt anyone who's not a Mason. And so, like, it's this big swamp of Masons. And so the anti-Mason party starts to come into being now. And so it's a sort of third party that's happening, largely uh, western New York and up north. And they all ended up committing suicide, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. under unusual yeah, they, circumstances they all got suicided. <laughs> yeah. i mean really i don't want to be an anti-mason back in those days in 1828 it's all about the news media and fake news is rampant and there are so many newspapers everybody is all about the national government now they didn't even care about it Early on, you know, people were more interested in local and state elections, but now they're all about the national elections and the presidency. It's It becomes a very big deal to the common person who is president. And there's so many newspapers cropping up. It becomes such a big business that there were more newspapers per capita in the United States in 1828 than there are now. 
And that's crazy to think about but with, with all the media that's out there. I mean, that's that's nuts. It sounds like, you know, there was a blossoming of interest right after this corrupt bargain that took place. People suddenly wanted to know what was going on and wanted to have an opinion about it. People were enraged about this corrupt bargain. It was yeah. the Hillary's emails of its time. Oh, <laughs> oh. It sounds like there was really no doubt from the beginning that, that Quincy Adams, Quincy Adams, sorry, was not going to get reelected, period, no matter what happened. Yeah, I mean, he just didn't stand a chance. A smart person is going to tell you, uh, politically, if you're uh, a liberal, don't be more than half a step ahead of the population. But John Quincy Adams was, like, years ahead of other people, and he was a genius. Yeah. He was a genius and an introvert. He didn't very much care what other people thought. He was like, you know, the very, uh, very much like the smartest professor that you ever had in college. So like a Eddie Zipper. Yeah, Eddie Zipper. Yeah. Right, right. Yes, yeah. exactly. I am. <laughs> I do have the same personality type as John Quincy Adams. There you go. INTP. Me, John Quincy Adams, and Abraham Lincoln. Ah. It's good, good, good company to keep. It's all right. It's all right. John Quincy Adams is going to serve in Congress for so long that Abraham Lincoln will be in Congress at the same time as John Quincy Adams and attend his funeral. That's insane. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he, he lives a long time after his presidency. So uh, it's it's fair to say that Jimmy Carter is the John Quincy Adams of his time. In terms of being annihilated uh, for re-election in terms of... <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Yeah. That's being a lot around of forever and ever. Yeah. Uh, he is very much like John Quincy Adams. Did, jo- did John days. Quincy Adams go and build homes for people that would eventually sell it for a profit? <laughs> you know, <laughs> if we reduce that to just humanitarianism, uh, the, yes, I mean, he did. he did spend... The rest of his life fighting against slavery. And he was extremely outspoken and made a lot of enemies in the House of Representatives over his opinions on slavery. Uh, slaves would constantly um, slaves would constantly petition the House of Representatives for a redress of their grievances, and the House of Representatives would ignore the petitions, and John Quincy Adams would make big speeches on the floor about how they, how there was a First Amendment right to petition the government for a redress of your grievances, and mm-hmm. they were just ignoring it. He really fought hard. Um, he argued the Amistad case in front of the Supreme Court. I'm sure they must mention it in law school. Yeah, they do. There's also a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Morgan Freeman comes and talks to the class. Exactly. <laughs> That's great. Don't really remember the law school portion of it, yeah. but the movie was fantastic. I probably skipped class to watch the movie, honestly. <laughs> I think yeah. I remember that day in law school. I think Morgan Freeman was yeah, there. I remember that. So, there, so John Quincy Adams' ideas for his presidency are he has, he's – a very liberal interpreter of the Constitution. So his ideas are like, hey, let's start a national university for education, and let's build 
a big giant observatory because America doesn't have observatories and they are the lighthouses of the sky. And, you know, all his ideas, he's got this idea to build like uh, basically a United Nations among the United States and all of the South American countries. He wants to build a United Nations. That's crazy in the 1800s. I mean, it's just. He sounds way too liberal for that day and age, for sure. Oh, man. I mean, I mean, he is widely, widely detested. One of the most detested presidents during his own time in American history. He can't get any of this stuff done, so don't even worry about it. Okay. But then, like I said, right away, Andrew Jackson gets nominated. So the election of 1828 starts five minutes after John Quincy Adams becomes president. Then, uh, I don't know if you already know about this, July 4th, 1826, which is uh, about a year and a half into John Quincy, not quite, but about a year and a couple months into John Quincy's presidency, after becoming friends again and writing letters back and forth for years, John Adams and Thomas Jefferson... Two of the three architects of independence both died on the 50th anniversary of the declaration being accepted by Congress. Yep. I I think I read that in the Adams biography. Yeah, on July 4th, 1826. That's the day that that both of them died. And I, I think when John Adams died, he said something to the effect, Thomas Jefferson lives. But actually, Thomas Jefferson had already died a couple of hours before Adams. Beaten again. And Abigail was not disappointed with John Quincy Adams uh, for failing during his presidency because she died in 1818. Gotcha. Okay, so lots of people are probably already going to know that Adams and Jefferson died on July 4th because that's a story that... You hear pretty often. Right. But did you know this? Exactly five years later, the last founding father, James Monroe, also died on July 4th. No. Wow. Yes. Now, that's a damn conspiracy. It is. I know. The Masons. The Masons. It's a Mason thing. My gosh. It's the the Illuminati, without a doubt. (laughs) Yeah. July 4th, 1831, which means three of the first five presidents died on July 4th. Zero of the next 39 presidents died on July 4th. Well, some of those are still alive. Trump, Obama, uh, Bush 43, Clinton, Jimmy Carter. So zero of the next 34 presidents. So far, no more from the first three. Yeah. Isn't that crazy, though? And Well, uh, every time I hear somebody say, did you know that that Adams and Jefferson both died on July 4th. I always think, and James Monroe. Yeah, my favorite president. Dummy. <laughs> I'd end it with dummy. I think dummy is a very underutilized put down. It's true. I used to have a boss yeah. who, who would call you dumb-dumb. Dumb. Like, I like it, dumb-dumb. He would be like, hey, did, did you do these numbers? And you'd be like, yeah. And he'd be like, hey, good job, dumb-dumb. Oh. You miss, you know, and it, it, it hit pretty hard. Steer us back on course. Yeah, somebody. <laughs> come, come on. So 
The actual election of 1828 is, I mean, it has everything that a modern election has. And it's most of it's for the first time. You remember I told you Jackson ran as the mute tribune? Yes. 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 No one, no one will ever make that mistake again. You're going to, you're going to proudly boast your own accolades from now on. Yes. Back in the day, it made sense. I've never been a believer that Washington did. And I, I love George Washington. Don't get me wrong. But I've never been a believer that he did the Mute Tribune thing because he was just that noble. I've always believed that he did it because he knew that that would make everybody think, oh my gosh, look at him, he doesn't even want it. He's not even going to campaign for it. That's that's what a really, you know what I mean? It's great reverse psychology. It's like the first negging of a guy, in a, you, know, you know how you cut down the, the female to make her like you. It's very similar psychology. What? Yeah, I mean, you, you, you can make fun of her a little bit to make her, what? this guy doesn't like me. I've got to like him. What? Oh, man, <laughs> you are just are you? telling on yourself. <laughs> oh, my God. You are just telling on yourself. You're a bad guy. <laughs> Kelly, hide. Scott and I don't do that, no. dummy. Yeah, dumb, right. you yeah, dumb, dumb, dumb. <laughs> you know George Washington was pushing people down on the playground. Come on. <laughs> right, well, if we go back to the 1750s, we know he was swilling the planters with Bumbo in the 50s. Yeah, exactly. So how come 20 years later or, you know, 30 years later, he's sitting around going, yes, I mustn't campaign for anything because he knows that that's what's going to work among the elites. Exactly. But it's not the elites who decide anymore. Now it's going to be the common people. And the Mute Tribune stuff is lost on the common person. If right. you don't sing your praises to them, so the the Donald Trump approach really is born in the election of 1828. And Jackson runs this military-style campaign, uh, most of it coordinated by Martin Van Buren. But, I mean, it is, it, it's like community organizing. I mean, it goes down to the most grassroots level. Yeah. This election has smear tactics. It has all these newspapers working together to publish the same talking points. The campaign is fundraising. They raise all this money. Jackson spends over a million dollars in Whoa. current terms. He has he has luncheons where I mean, considering no one has ever raised money to run for office in, in a presidential election, it's an unbelievable amount. He starts having these $5 ahead lunches. My God. You got to pay $5. And he takes the $5 and lots of the money they spend buying newspapers for people who cannot afford newspapers. Hmm. To make sure they get the news. Yeah. So yep. you're getting free newspapers. If you can't afford it and you don't subscribe, uh, Jackson's buddy, the senator over here, is going to make sure that you have a subscription. A very impartial newspaper subscription. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Fair and balanced. Dumb, dumb. Yeah. <laughs> dumb, dumb. They do. Jackson has these huge rallies with, ton- with thousands of people who show up to hear him speak. And, you know, what does he talk about? Probably he talks about the corrupt bargain. 
And he says, lying John Quincy is, you know, is corrupt. We need to go to Washington and drain the swamp. I was about to say, what do you think the chances are that he said drain the swamp? Lying John Quincy, yeah. Lying John Quincy. (laughs) Lying John Quincy. Oh, man. If Donald Trump knew John Quincy Adams in real man, they would hate each other so hard. Oh, yeah, I imagine so. Yeah. Now, John Quincy, who's president of the United States, uh, still believes that he has to do sort of the mute tribune thing. So mostly people are campaigning on his behalf. He's not going to campaign for himself because he believes it to be beneath him and beneath the office and the that's just not how it's done, and he knows because he's been part of the swamp his whole life, and he does things the way that they do it. Yeah, and one of, one of the things that Eddie, Eddie keeps pointing out every episode is we like to hearken back to the good old days of when things were different, but really, I mean, think about this. This has changed. Yeah, yeah, this is, you know, Andrew Jackson coming out just like Trump and basically changing the game and providing people newspapers that already had his talking points well, in and it. And it's right? funny because the the appetite for Americans back in this day and age, we're in the 1820s now, yep. if you are a dissenter from the Jacksonians or of the Trumpians, you would say, he's just a bully. Yeah. That's what they say. Oh, yeah, they do. But what America really kind of enjoys, whether they will openly admit it or not, is they actually kind of like the, the swag. They yeah. like the confidence. They like the guns blazing because whether we want to admit it or not, that's kind of who we are. That's our DNA. And we, yeah. in, in a lot of ways, they think, you know, if, if he, I would want this guy being a bully for my, my purposes, be a bully for what I want. You know, in that case, it's not being a bully. You're just someone that's getting stuff done. And that's, I think that's, yep. that Democrats are missing that. Right. Right. Jackson understands what is. What has changed, and he immediately jumps in and understands it. He missed it in eighteen twenty four, but but he wasn't even really thinking about. He didn't want to be president. president. He got thrown yeah. into it. No, and he didn't have yeah. the fodder. He didn't have the fodder of this whole corrupt bargain either. Well, you know, it, I mean, it's it, part it, of it. The timing of this this deal yeah. that happened was perfect. He took advantage of it. But you know, I would say more than half of being a president is is luck and timing. Yeah, and there was. There was a news story he could take advantage of at the time. I mean, typically you don't want to be the guy or or gal running against an incumbent, right? But this was one incumbent you wanted to run against. Like the people are lining up to run against Trump now for whatever reason. Yeah. They you know, this was a guy that you were ready to run against in, in John Quincy Adams. He kinda he kinda fell on the sword for, for Andrew Jackson, gave him somebody to lambast for three years, and it was a cakewalk for him to be the next president, really. You know, Jackson, people think that Jackson and John Quincy Adams always hated each other. It's not true. They actually, John Quincy Adams really, really liked Jackson, and Jackson really liked John Quincy Adams until the end of the election of 1824 and the corrupt bargain, and then Jackson did not like him. And then during this election of 1828, when all the Republican newspapers just smeared Rachel Jackson into oblivion. Right. Then he really hated him. Because here's what happened. All of this stuff that was in the newspapers was very, very depressing for Rachel Jackson. And and she stopped going out because people were snotty to her everywhere she went. And so she started to shut in and become really depressed. Right. 
right after the election ended, she died. Oh, so that emboldens Jackson to be the the uh, defender of her honor even after death. Yeah, and her epitaph on her grave at the Hermitage there, uh, as you saw on your field trip when you were a kid probably. That's right, yep. Uh, it actually mentions the smear. It says something to the effect that she was so virtuous and wonderful that uh, no smear could dishonor her. So it it actually alludes to uh, the the smearing that went on. And I mean, Jackson holds that grudge and blames Rachel's death on John Quincy Adams and his followers for the rest of his life. Yep. Thank you, Google, by the way. It says, Rachel Jackson was, in part, a being so gentle and so virtuous, slander might wound but could not dishonor her. Thank you. There yes, you that is that is what I wanted to say. There you go. No problem. And all the smearing goes both ways. Uh, Jackson smears the Republicans for the corrupt bargain, and uh, they try to claim that John Quincy Adams, when he was in Russia as an ambassador, that he acted as a pimp for uh, the czar, and he brought the <laughs> czar women. That's not true. So I, I too, had time to, 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 to Google Rachel, oh, no. Adam, uh, Rachel uh, Jackson. Are you checking her out? And um, I don't know if it was just a common deficiency in artists at the time. Uh-huh. She was not what we call a looker. Yeah, maybe, that's, maybe that was part of the problem. Are you talking about Rachel? Yeah. Did you find the old picture of her, or did you find a younger picture of her? I don't look at the older ones where she looks like what you would consider an old maid. Google young Rachel Okay, Jackson. here we go. Wait a second. Yeah, look here, Scott. That's Oh, yeah. That's not bad at all. No. There you go. I wouldn't kick her out of bed unless, never mind. Yeah. You're about to get challenged to a duel. Yeah. <laughs> from the yeah. grave. I wouldn't even talk bad about her now. You'd be haunted by the ghost of Andrew Exactly. Jackson. Hickory here, Scott. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is anybody else even challenging these two in this election, or is it, just, is it just Jackson and Adams running? It's just Jackson and Adams this time. Okay. There's no uh, Calhoun and Clay to sp- and, um, and uh, Crawford to split the vote up. And because of that, Jackson annihilates John Quincy Adams. Yeah. Uh, Adams gets 83 electoral votes. Jackson gets 178. Jackson wins the South. He wins the West. Uh, John Quincy Adams wins, uh, I believe, Western New York and New England. But that's it. Really? Landslide. Yeah, he won about the same number of electoral votes that he won in the election where he actually got selected yeah, by the House. Yeah, close. Yeah. And it looks like Jackson picked up everything else. Yeah, Jackson picked up everything. And and what's interesting, the guy who really delivers the South for Andrew Jackson is Calhoun, who is John Quincy Adams's vice president. <laughs> Oh. Yeah, one of the things I saw, though, looking back is, so, and I don't know how this happened, you probably know, but Calhoun was actually listed as the as the vice presidential candidate for both of them in the election yeah. of 1824. Yeah. So he was set, really, either way. 
he was going to be vice president, no matter which one of those two won. Yeah, and he, he actually becomes Jackson's vice president, too. Okay, the first time. Yeah, so for Jackson's first term, Calhoun is vice president. Then, in 1832, we're going to have the invention, the invention of the nominating committee, and they're going to choose somebody to be Jackson's running mate, which will be a brand new thing that starts in 1832. And I think you know just who they'll pick to be Jackson's yeah. running mate at the convention. So how much of a role does, does Van Buren play in the in the 28 election, or is, or is most of his impact in the 32 election? His creation of the party, you're going to see a lot of, like, his system you're going to see in 1832. But, right. I mean, he's basically running the gears and cogs of what Andrew Jackson has going on. I got you. Uh, especially in the North and in New York, he's like the main guy for the campaign up there. So he's uh, mainly a regional guy still at this point in 1828, obviously, and then takes his game national the next time around. He's a little bit more than a regional guy because I think this is what he has always envisioned that a presidential campaign should be like, and this is what democracy should be like. Gotcha. All the all the framers and all the founding fathers believed that parties were bad. Martin Van Buren believed that you needed parties because they created competition, and competition always yielded the best results. Gotcha. And, and so Van Buren, his whole quest is to bring back the contest of the Federalists and the Democratic-Republicans, and really 1828 is where that is accomplished, and now we have the Democrats and the National Republicans. What else do we need to know? This is a major realignment election. It's the second major realignment election in American history, if you count 1803, uh, the election of 1800, but a lot of a lot of political scientists don't consider that really to be a realignment election in 1800 because there's no democracy. Common people can't vote. You can't really have a true realignment without people being able to vote. So this would be the first major uh, realignment if you uh, are looking at it in those terms. And I, you alluded to that a little bit in the last episode, but because you said, you know, to you, the last election, 1824, was probably the most interesting. But you said this is one of the most important, 1828. And, and what you alluded to was realignment. But for folks that may not be following you 100% like me, when you say realignment, I mean, are you talking about from a philosophical standpoint, from a sectional standpoint? Uh, what, do, what, do, what do the political scientists mean when they talk about realignment? Those things can lead to it, like sectionalism or new ideas can lead to it. Uh, yep. Usually, usually it's going to involve new ideas gotcha. because that's how you get new people. But what the re the realignment really is, you have two major political parties, and those political parties are made up of coalitions of people. Yep. So everybody who's a Republican doesn't agree on everything. You have different. You have a coalition of people who are Republicans. You know, you've got uh, say evangelicals, you have super conservative Republicans, you have moderate Republicans, right. you have Tea Party, you have all these different kinds of Republicans. Yeah, a loose coalition and, by, based on party or something, yeah. Yeah, and so uh, when that's how it operates, the um, 
parties try to take people from the other party. If you can take a big group of people from the other party, yep. then you suddenly win. So 2016, realignment because Trump took a big group of people from the Democrats, yeah. which were Rust Belt Democrats. Right. He took Union them time. away from the Democrats, and that caused a realignment. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. And so that's what happened in 1828. But the realignment happened because, partially because there was a coming together of all these different broken parties, and they kind of amalgamated into the Jackson Party. Yeah. If you ever, <laughs> if you ever want to read um, a biography of a president that is going to be interesting from page one to the last page, read Andrew Jackson by H.W. Brands. Uh, one of the most readable biographies of any president ever written. I thought he was going to say Van Buren. <laughs> no, that's Van Buren's uh, biographies are highly unreadable. <laughs> Read Grover Cleveland's approach by oh, no one. You know, you know Grover Cleveland. More interesting Remember than me. you think. Like, <laughs> I was president by William Henry Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> For 13 hours. I was president. <laughs> you know, press. It's not even long enough to give a T at the end. Oh, geez. Eddie, anything else we ought to know on this one? I think that's everything I have on the election of 1828 that people will find interesting. Excellent. Well, I tell you what, I implore you, if you're out there and you have not subscribed, Go ahead and pr press the subscribe button. Look us up on uh, social media, on Twitter. We are at Election and Beer on both both places, really, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us uh, both places. And go find our other podcasts and subscribe to those, too. We are, we're politicked. Yes. Uh, and Eddie is Politics for Patriots. And, and both of those shows are also quality, if I do say so myself. And we're going to do this all the way up until the election of 2020. Yep. And uh, it's going to be some good stuff and some fun stuff. We're going to end it in Philadelphia. We already decided. I swear we're going to do this. Hey, if we do go to Philadelphia, I, I want to uh, I want to go to Independence Hall and I want to say the line from National Treasure. Absolutely. You know, the, One of the, the last time ever. this was here, it was being signed. You got to say it just like Nick Cage too. It was being yeah. I can't, I can't I'm in the best it. I can. Yeah. Exactly. So just just pretend really hard that you're trying to act and be bad at it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not so hard. That's Nick Cage. Nick Cage. <laughs> All right, man. Well, good episode. Until next time. Yep.